Educators are constantly rethinking the way they teach their subjects, working to find the right mix of history, context, and subject specifics to help students understand the importance of what they're learning. Statistics is no different, with stats professors and teachers continually looking for the best way to help their students connect to the subject. It can be a complicated process, becoming even more fraught during moments of political upheaval or revolutionary change. That's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department, Richard Campbell, former chair of media, journalism, and film, is away. Our guest today is Delia North. North is dean and head of the School of Mathematics, Statistics, and Computer Science at University of KwaZulu-Natal, or UKZN. She's been with the school since 2004, when she was appointed head of statistics. During her time there, she's worked to build capacity in statistics at the institution, as well as nationally in her role as chair of the South African Statistical Association Education Committee. North began her teaching career during apartheid in South Africa, which she says shaped the way she thinks about how statistics should be taught. Delia, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's indeed a great honor, and I look forward to our conversation. Just to get us started, I was wondering if you could talk about what that experience was like teaching during apartheid, and, and you, you know have said it sort of helped you understand there was an urgent need to change the way statistics should be thought. So maybe you could talk through some of that for us. I will do so, thank you. My training was primarily as a theoretical statistician. I loved mathematics at school and I went to university to study mathematics and computer science that was very new in 1977. When I got to university, all students doing computer science were forced to do statistics. But statistics was only taught in the second semester because you needed a vast amount of calculus from the first semester to be able to understand it. So I started statistics in semester two and immediately enjoyed it. As we progressed through the years of undergraduate, I took statistics courses, every single one I could, and I found that I was enjoying it much more than computer science, for example, and eventually left computer science. And I majored in mathematics and what was called mathematical statistics. And it really was mathematical statistics. The university had a single large computer on campus, which took an entire floor of a building called the UNIVAC. And you had to walk for about 15 minutes to get to the UNIVAC. And that's what made me drop computer science, actually, and end up doing <laughs> statistics because I, I thought it was a big waste of time to do computer science. And I enjoyed statistics, but we, all I needed was my calculator. I mean, we never got to use the UNIVAC if you were doing statistics. So I went on to do a master's and a PhD in measure theoretic probability, very mathematical. I was good at it, I enjoyed it, and I felt I'd made the decision to be an academic statistician where I would teach mathematical statistics, but primarily theoretical probability. I loved it. Just after that, I got married. I stayed home for eight years when I had three little boys. And when I came back, to my shock and horror, everything had changed. Univac was gone, everybody had PCs, and the world was different. The academic world was different, but also apartheid had ended. 
just at that time. And I was now teaching at what was called historical disadvantage institution. Mm. And I was faced to teach many, many students that had not had mathematics training at school. I don't know if you know, but during apartheid, the uh, African schools were not taught mathematics. So I had many students doing a service course in statistics who had not been trained in mathematics. So it was a whole new problem. And all I knew was how to teach mathematical statistics well. So I suddenly, I would lie awake, really being concerned about this, think about how I could do this. It was really a worry for me. And then I knew about the South African Statistics Association. So I tried my own things, changing the curriculum a little bit to, even though the curriculum was in a mathematical way, I knew I couldn't teach it like that. And I was trying to think of ways to do it. So I joined the South African Statistics Association, particularly the Education Committee, and I got very involved. And I did what I could locally, but there wasn't a lot of knowledge about how to do it better locally. And then I heard about the RASE, and I was on the Education Committee when the Education Committee bid to host ARCOT's Sixth International Conference on Teaching Statistics. And I became the local chair of the ARCOT 6, which was held in Cape Town, South Africa. And suddenly I was thrown into a whole new world. I got to meet all these people because I was chairing the local organizing committee. And it was wonderful. One thing I heard you just describe as part of when you were re-entering into this, into this workforce was, in essence, that you, you found yourself encountering students in this post-apartheid uh, context where they didn't have that kind of mathematical foundations. So, so how did how did they know that they would even be interested in statistics? And how did you? What are some of the things that you did as, in trying to connect to them and help them engage in the discipline? What I found is that most of the students that I'm talking about that didn't have strong mathematical background, they wouldn't be in the program to be a statistician. They would generally be doing statistics as a service course. With okay. other words, a one-module statistics course to become a biologist. Sure. Well, one yeah, they were generally not science students. In fact, the, the students that chose to do statistics would have gone to some of the schools where the mathematics was actually taught. Some private schools taught people of all races, mathematics, and then, of course, the, the white and Indian communities and so on did have the training. So the universities open for all races. This was formerly a historical black university or historical disadvantaged institution, but most of the students were in the category that hadn't done uh, mathematics at school and therefore would be doing it as a service course where we would teach one semester of statistics okay. to a student that even might not fully understand the concept of percentages and proportions. It really was very, very interesting. And the, the service course curriculum had been designed years before, and it was, in fact, for example, proving Bayes' theorem in your one semester service course. I mean, it, it was just wasn't attainable, and I couldn't just change. So what I did, I put something in called hot seat, which I called it hot seat because it means the seat is hot. You can't sit there for the day, but you could book a private lesson with one of the statistics students and I got funding so that we could get some of the actual maybe third year and honors fourth year statistics students to help the service course students. Okay. Because what I also found that was interesting, 
I would stay for extended periods at our tutorial afternoon where students could one-on-one -on -one ask questions, but they would not ask a single question because they were embarrassed that their English wasn't We have 11 oh. official languages and the students would oh. not ask a question. But the minute I get to my office at half past four or five o'clock, I'd have a row that want to come into the privacy of my office and ask me a question. Oh. So then I had the idea of having a, uh, what I called hot seat, which just means you could book a private lesson like you book a squash court. And you could okay. have half an hour of one-on-one -on -one individual attention with the door closed. But it wasn't enough. That's, that sounds like a tremendous challenge to have 11 official languages, to think about trying to, to kind of encourage and manage in that context. Have you seen yeah. a growth in the number of students that are taking these types of service classes and statistics or in terms of the, the students that are in your, in your school? Very much so. And what we've done over the years, what we found to be very helpful is that we, for example, will get students of the different languages, say the uh, local African students that are in third year. You know, that was a long time ago. I'm now talking about 1994, 95 when um, things changed. But also in from 2008 onwards in South Africa, the uh, education system at school level was identical. A new oh. school system came in in 2008. So for the past 12 years, students um, coming into university have all had the same education. So now things are different, but still I find, and I'm glad you asked that, language is a problem. And that is why we have students of the different language groups, maybe that are successful on third year, can be uh, what we call a supplemental instruction leader and uh, can be a tutor. And we particularly don't just take the best students in class, but we try and span the different types of students. And that is how we handle, particularly in the very large classes. So uh, that is something that we found to be very effective. So is, uh, do you have all the instruction in a single language? Yes, okay. all the instruction is in English though we have tutorial groups and we have what's called code switching. They might discuss a problem in their language. And when we make groups, and particularly at third year, I found it interesting. We have groups and I walk around the groups and their discussions can be in their home language, but their presentations, yeah. And what I found that I actually went to a talk on this once um, where they put cameras and watch people. When they discuss a problem, they like doing it in the home language. But when they do the problem, it's often because it's artificially, it's not um, from the heart. It's more like the mathematics of how to solve it using which model. Happily, it's done in English because that has been taught in English. Oh, so the okay. discussion about what kind of problem it is, the general English, what we would do in English, not in that. When it gets to the mathematical modeling part, happily, everybody does it in English. So that is generally what I've found. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking with Delia North of University of KwaZulu-Natal. Delia, you talked a bit about sort of, you know, um, before this sort of this new educational regime was put in place in 2008, how the mathematical education was very uneven. And it sounds like sort of since 2008, there's been some improvement. What other ways have, have you or your institution been involved in trying to increase maybe the representation of people from marginalized groups um, in the field of statistics, right? So you talked about sort of like this tutoring in yes. the various languages. Are, are there other things you've been doing to try to increase the 
um, the inclusion of marginalized groups in, in this field in South Africa? Yes, I've done that. And I've explained to you what I've found to be extremely effective. Many years ago, I realized that the problem was often not just the students coming in from communities where maybe uh, they were not taught at all taught at the same level. With other words, they had varying levels of preparation for university. The problem would continue if we couldn't help the in-service teachers because the curriculum changed. In 2008, everybody had this new curriculum, but the in-service, the, the pre-service teacher that's still at college will get the new content. And one particular day, I was with this person that I knew the face of, and I'd seen him, and I just happened to be speaking to the Statistics General, Paddy Lahotla, and I didn't know, and I said, don't you work for Stats South Africa? And he said, and it was just at the time when this was on my mind all the time, how to treat, how to teach in-service teachers. And I said to uh, Mr. Paddy Lahotla, I said, you know, I'm, you work, you're pretty high up in Stats South Africa. And he said, yeah, I'm the... And I said, but aren't you supposed to ensure that the man in the street, the citizen in South Africa, can read your output? Because I saw that in your mission and vision. So how about you start something? I've got some plans, but I've got no money. How about you start something where we train in-service teachers? And then we started talking. And the next thing, he made a program called Maths for Stats, meaning the maths at school can help stats. And he made me the master trainer. Oh. So that was a fun thing to do and then we had people uh, that we had to train in every province and he took two teachers from every province virtually and eventually it was one through a program and I would fly up to Johannesburg and we trained the, the what was called um, subject advisors and they would then in turn teach teachers but it still was too diluted and too slow so when we had ISI in South Africa in 2009, I was asked to organize a teacher program because I then had got the name that nationally I was doing a lot of training and through South African Statistics Association, I tried to get other universities and I realized that we could only do it on a large scale if many people were involved, but people with knowledge and all universities should want to do this. And, um, when we had ISI in South Africa in 2009, I decided that I wanted it to be a lasting legacy and try and think of something that would make this big problem go away. With other words, how could I do it? And I realized I could only do it if I worked through the proper structures. So I involved the St Statistics South Africa, which by then had done a lot of training um, that they'd sponsored that I had been involved with and also my university, we were University of KwaZulu-Natal, we'd merged and I decided that I spoke to my staff, I was head of statistics at the time, and I got almost everybody on board and I said, let's do something big. And I went to the Department of Education and I said, I can take 300, say, on a Saturday morning, I will train 300 people, but how do I decide which 300? If I just say, if I advertise, I'll get the wealthy schools that have got cars bringing their people. So I went to the Department of Education. I said, who are your 300 worst performing schools in mathematics? Wow. You found the schools. Then I got Stats South Africa because I don't have an admin to get hold of those schools because anywhere in my province, now our province is pretty big. 
So I asked the, the um, Stack South Africa group, Padilla Hartler was on my side, and he said they would do the admin. And I said, these are the schools. Fax them. Every school must send a teacher. And we had the most amazing program for five years. And what was really fantastic is that the statistics department, as a group, would work with me on a Saturday morning, and we'd run three parallel groups. We had the primary school, then we had the intermediate group and the senior group, with, in other words, grade 10, 11, 12, and we'd work through the statistics part of the curriculum. And I learned so many lessons there. It only worked because no money exchanged hands. Statsofsteiner wanted to pay the teachers bus money, finance it. And I said, if you do that, first of all, somebody living close by will tell me they live in the north of my province. I'm not going to police that. Let's tell the schools, here's an opportunity, and I will do it so well that they'll be fighting to come back. And I'll do it very well the first week. And I spent a lot of time, and what I found was interesting, the teachers came a long way. Some of them told me they had to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning because they don't own cars. They had to come on public transport to get to me by 8. And I would just give them a pack of notes for the day. And by the end of the module, of the end of the, it was five Saturdays. If they get to the last one, only if they attended all five, would I give them a bound book with all the materials. And they all got to that book. And I would give them an extra one to photostat for their class. But every week I'd give them a gift with everything was around a game, fun activities, how to learn probability, fun activities, how to learn. And I would give them the sheets and the exercises. And a lot of it came from Royal Statistical Society. So it was fun. And the teachers got so excited, they wanted to come back. And then I would also do surveys to get information so that we can do some modeling on their attitudes. It was really a wonderful project. And I found that I gave the teachers a hot meal when they arrived, a hot meal at lunch. And when I spoke to my staff afterwards, after the first week, so many said, I'll do it once or twice. And then they said, I'll do it every week. Because it was such an eye-opener for our staff yeah. to see how desperate these teachers were. And what they wanted was posters to make their classroom look pretty. So I got sponsoring to laminate posters. So we'd give them big colorful posters with fun activities on them. And it, that just seemed to make such a difference that giving them little gifts, not money, but using the funding I could get to make their classrooms pretty. And they just absolutely loved it. You know, you what you're doing is is inspiring. I mean, what what you have done is at a you you've been a force to change the practice within your country. And I I just say I I just really am I'm very impressed. I think that's really cool. So you know, as you've been as you've been doing this, you know, I there there are, what we see in our country and we see around the world is a tremendous increase in the demand for statistics, data science, analytics. You know, just you name it in terms of basically thinking and solving problems with data. That, that we can't keep up, you know, universities can't keep up, that they're, all sectors need this, business, industry, government, all throughout are just crying for graduates with the skills like you are helping your students develop. And, and what you've told us about is the pipe, is, is things that you've done in terms of the in-service for the people that are part of the pipeline that are coming into this. You know, you've, I've, I also know about some of the things that you've done to attract young women to study statistics, particularly things like the idea of the T's that you've held. So can you talk a little bit about what are things that, that you've been doing to try to, to 
to explicitly bring in, you've told us about the in-service work with the teachers to help them prepare and attract and bring them in. What other things have you done that, that we might learn from? I think what's really important and what's been um, helped me to be successful in the regard of trying to get more girls interested in statistics is actually when I'm teaching to look for the qualities that I would expect an academic statistician to have amongst my students, female students, because I need role models. And I've got three girls in particular I can mention right now, but I better not mention their names, that I, <laughs> that I noticed when they were second year students. And I would speak to them about um, possibly thinking about becoming an academic statistician because it's a job with flexibility and it's so rewarding. And I would give them extra opportunities maybe in tutoring. And then I would watch how they tutor, involve them in projects, if we're doing a research project, I would involve them in their third or fourth year so that they gain extra experience. And what I've found is that it has paid off richly. Those three young ladies are now our young academic staff, full-time members of staff. And I go to schools like when I did the uh, Woman in Analytics, I never just wanted to be me speaking to young girls because I know teenagers don't want to see somebody, their mother, or maybe even their grandmother's age. So if I will speak to my girls about what I think would be a good idea, but I don't do it. I might give a short talk, but they're the main show. And they, these three young ladies will then speak to the um, audience. And I also last year got Jennifer Priestley in from Kennesaw State University. She runs the... PhD program there because I think you need a wow factor and to me the high tea I did with Jennifer Priestley present and then the three young girls talking and then mingling with the school mm. but every school girl we took a number of schools and said they could choose two girls that they thought were outstanding and had potential and were interested in analytics but the teacher came with and I think that's important because those girls, I'm speaking to girls, but I want the teacher to listen. And the teacher must be female, by the way. And she must listen and she must go away and inspire other girls. And then I sent them the video of Jennifer's talk and thanked them for coming a few months later. And I think that was really important was to sort of get the pipeline going. And yeah, what yeah, when yeah. we started was more sort of, I was thinking about how to help these girls, but as technology now, particularly with the pandemic, where uh, the young people, of course, are helping us with the technology, these young female lecturers we've got are absolutely amazing. And they are helping all of us be more relevant and to be able to help us just to keep up with the latest trends. So I think... Um, it's really important to have the type of example. In particular, we've got people of different races, young ladies that are awesome and are able to really be role models for the young ladies because we are concerned about the problem of young girls even thinking about statistics because mm -hmm. what I'm talking about now is schools, but we need much more. So recently, and this maybe adds to something you spoke of earlier on this is not only about girls but there's a project i'm doing with one of the teachers that went to arcot 7 with me there was a big competition 
and we had a, um, a group of teachers that were sponsored. They were winners in a competition that Paddy Lahatla held, and they went to Brazil to Arcot Six with me. I led the group, and we had a wonderful time. Now, one of those teachers has continued with the idea of trying to build capacity in statistics, and he came to me and he defined and thought of this wonderful project, which we're just starting now, where students at school from the um, township area, which is really the areas where the less affluent local people stay, local African kids stay there. And they generally would not have opportunities. And certainly the teachers there would maybe not be able to teach statistics to the level that we would like. So what they've been doing, they thought of this project where they'd have a poster competition. This is my school. And next is, this is my community. And the last one is, this is my municipality, where you now have the whole area of Durban and the wider Durban area. But they had not thought of using, for example, Stats SA data. So when oh, they saw me, I said, right, we're going to do it with you. I'll partner with you, but only the teachers on the projects get training. Because our group of academic statisticians will train we will give you posters and materials so that not just the children presenting, but the classes. So now we have access to those. Mm -hmm. This is just an extra thing. We obviously have a full program at university. So we're trying always to train teachers and we've already got them into the lab. All the teachers got lessons in how to download the data. So when it comes to this is my municipality, this is my community in South Africa, we've got data down to ward level. So they'll be able to get the data because their plan was just to walk around and interview a few people and say, this is my community. And I was like, well, you should do that, but you should benchmark it against what really is your community. Well, Delia, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Delia. For Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for the interview. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.